honor of hosting an esteemed guest, a man who needs no introduction. Uh, he is much loved and respected by his peers, colleagues and students alike. We are thrilled to announce that we have Dr. Pramath Rath Sena with us. Hello Thank and you. welcome, sir. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Pramath is a pioneering force in Indian higher education. He is the founder and chairman of Harappa, um, now a part of Upgrad, founding dean and a member of executive board of ISB, which has rapidly become one of the 20 top business schools in the world. And he is also the founder and chairman of the board of trustees of Ashoka University. Uh, so this is your second book, sir, that you have authored. Uh, how has the response been? Like, well, I don't have the actual numbers, yeah. but uh, at least the people who've read the book, maybe because they are being nice to me, but have found it very useful. Uh, and that's what I wanted the book to be. I wanted people to find it helpful and useful as they thought about decisions, important decisions for their studies, for their career. Yeah. So I've read the book and the book uh, very <clears throat> openly talks about uh, how you choose your career, what subjects to choose, which school you go to, how do you come to that decision, the importance of mentoring. Uh, what was the inspiration? What made, I mean, you have come long way after, your, after finishing your education and it's been quite an eventful and wonderful journey. The inspiration was really that somehow, uh, and now more so because I'm involved in education, a lot of young people, a lot of parents of young people often come to me for advice. Uh, when people reach out, I don't like to say no because if somebody is asking you for help or they want to bounce something off you, you feel like at least sparing some time for them. What I find is that the questions haven't changed. And I think the first time I was asked would have been, what, about 30 years ago. And while 30 years have elapsed, a lot has changed in the world, but the questions haven't changed. And I feel even more sure of my answers today than I did early on because it was, I personally did not have the life experience. Uh, I didn't have a chance to observe what was happening with others. I did not have so much of exposure to education as I do now. So as I have learned along the way, I'm even more sure of my answers. I'm also getting constrained in terms of too many people asking me for time and I'm not able to spend the time. So somewhere along the way, I felt that it would be good to put it down in writing. Part of it was also because when you are informally giving advice, sometimes you miss out a point or you know you should have said something more important at that meeting when you ran into somebody. And uh, so you then feel bad that, oh, I didn't make that point or I should have said this. So this way, actually putting it all down <laughs> in one place you can always tell somebody that, listen, here's a few pieces of advice, but why don't you read the book? Because everything I know, yeah. everything I can tell you is there. So yeah, that was some of the reasons why I thought I should write it. So the book has a very, uh, I think, catchy and interesting title, Learn, Don't Study. Uh, for those who haven't read the book yet, 
how would you very briefly differentiate the like key aspect of learning and studying so i'm glad you're saying it is catchy because i <laughs> i picked the title because i wanted it to be catchy yeah. these days everybody and their grandmother is writing a book so <laughs> uh, if you want to stand out you need to have a catchy title and i couldn't come up with a better one uh, uh one other quick thing my uh my uh, nephew's daughter my grandniece I said I love the book title because it says don't study <laughs> she's a little girl uh but jokes apart I do think that the question everybody keeps asking me about education is what should I study yeah and the next question after that question is what should I specialize in or what subject should I pick what major should I pick and i genuinely believe that that's not important yes it is and obviously i don't mean it's not important at all but what is very important is that whatever you study that there is genuine learning that will happen and learning in this case is a loaded word because learning is really about your holistic growth and development and learning here is also about exposure to things that you don't know and often when people say what should i study they are thinking of disciplines or courses or programs that they've heard of that their friends are doing or there's a perception that oh everything is going to be about ai so i should do this but what you don't know you don't know so unless you learn more about the world you won't really know what is out there you won't really know what is possible you won't really know what you might be good for that you haven't discovered and so the title really is to motivate and inspire people to discover things rather than say there is one right answer for me and i need to find that and if i can find that then i will somehow be successful yeah and my dreams will come true but you know what there isn't that one perfect thing for you there are many possible things that could be perfect for you yeah. and all of them each of them could be perfect and you'll have a chance to maybe do a few of those in your life so unless you go in with an open mind and say what are the possibilities and have a learning mindset rather than i have to study this mindset that's what ultimately you need to do and that's what i tried to capture in the title okay i'm glad you mentioned ai because uh, learning has become like ever challenging for a young professional these days given that uh, we are talking about ai taking up jobs for a graphic designer or making decks for consultants making strategies and everything that we can actually think of so two two parts to this question one uh, what is your message to the young professionals out there who are currently in their professional journeys working on how should they keep themselves updated to the latest skills like 
they need to upskill every now and then and there's so many platforms like there's harappa there's upgrad and they're offering so many courses uh do you suggest that young professionals should regularly update or should they uh learn throughout just their working journey like learn by doing i think you have to do both yeah and like with a lot of these things at some point in your career in your life you will learn by the doing because you have to do it and you won't have time to go out and learn and then come back and do whatever you had to do you just have to do it there's a timeline there's urgency there are targets to meet and so you jump in without knowing anything and you learn on the job at other times you will learn because you are curious because you want to upskill yourself in a area that seems like of interest or seems like something that would help so at different points in time you'll do this or that or this and that and i don't think it's going to be one or the other what is true though is that implicit in what you're saying that all of us have to be lifelong learners i continue to learn every day my whole work at harappa is to learn how learning itself is changing right i can see everybody is using education technology i can see people using distance learning digital technologies hybrid blended digital call it what you will edtech but my whole foray here is to make sure that i get to first hand experience how do you get people to learn online and then apply that to my life uh, or to what i do uh, in in the various education projects so i think we all have to be learning all the time it is true that there is so much to learn that you can't learn about everything uh, and so you have to pick you have to pick your battles uh, you have to pick your areas of interest and passion uh, and feel like you're getting left behind in other areas but that's okay i mean i probably don't know as much about climate change or health uh but i do feel good that i'm learning new things about education and education technology every day so talking about these careers in your book you've mentioned this uh, term called squiggly careers and then you talk about uh, the generalist versus specialist in a career and then you're also talking about uh, agile and being adaptable so uh, looking at the pattern of uh, how this comes in the book would you say that in the early years of a young professional when they start working they start as a generalist uh, does that make them more agile and adaptable because every kind of thing is thrown at them all sorts of deadlines all sorts of targets tasks and and does that eventually help uh, a young professional understand which area they want to specialize in or uh, does it keep like keep them away from figuring that out yeah that's a good question and actually all of those things that you mention have a link and there's a theme to this the first thing i will say is that again we make this 
stock trade-off between generalist versus specialist. And the question I always get asked is, but oh, I'm a generalist. Doesn't the world require specialists? And if I'm a specialist, am I getting too specialized? Again, this is an old debate. And I don't think there's a debate. My view is we are all generalists and specialists. Now, all of us as human beings have the ability to be a generalist, which you think of as a horizontal foundation across disciplines. And you can specialize in multiple areas throughout your life. Some people choose to stick to one specialization throughout their life. Doesn't make them only a specialist. They still have generalist skills to succeed. Equally, some people change their specializations every so often. Maybe they are impatient. Maybe they are, I'm often called random, right? Maybe they are too random. But everybody has a bit of a generalist and a bit of a specialist in them. Some specialists stay specialist in one area. Other people keep changing their specialization. And both kinds of careers are possible. That's what people need to understand. And there's nothing pejorative or negative about sticking to a specialization for all your life. Somebody wants to be a lawyer and they enjoy being a lawyer and they want to be a lawyer all their life, that's great. Equally, today you have a lot of people who do a law degree and the very next day they choose not to do law forever, ever in their life. I studied to be an academic, but I never became an academic. I tried to, didn't like it, and so left it. So I do think that if you think about it this way, then by definition, your careers are going to become squiggly. But if you look at squiggly careers, it fits in with this model of saying, even people with squiggly careers have a very strong set of generalist skills, which allows them to move and go into different disciplines. That's the common spine, the common muscle that they have. And then each squiggle is a new specialization. And that's how those two ideas come together. So uh, talking about the millennial and Gen Z in working, like as working professionals, we see and there's, there's, there's been many reports also that uh, people of our age, our generation, tend to switch jobs very frequently. And when we look at people in our parents or their parents' generation, they used to stick to one job 20, 30 years of their life or even from starting to end. Uh, why do you think this is happening? Uh, I think there are three reasons. Uh, one is that the world is changing very fast. So new industries, new sectors, new roles, new functions are being created all the time. Okay. Our country is progressing very fast. Technology disruption around the world has become very fast paced and it's also hitting India. So the world around us is creating lots and lots of opportunities and lots of changes. The second is that as a result of those changes, lots of new opportunities are getting created for young people, which didn't exist before. 
And to pursue those opportunities, you don't need to have the commensurate education because the education for that new role or that new opportunity doesn't exist. So regardless of what you have studied, which is the point about the book again, you will get those opportunities and you will get lots of those opportunities. So now you have a choice and that's the freedom of choice. The freedom of options is what our parents' generation did not have. So now you, because of the changes and the advancement, progress, technological uh, innovations, lots and lots of more opportunities are available to me. And the last point is that this idea of looking for purpose, meaning, passion in your work was always there. But now you can exercise that at a much younger age. So young people are like, hmm, was this, was this what I was meant to do? Yeah. I want to find something that gives me meaning. Is this my purpose in life? So now you are able to indulge your self in saying, I want to do something that is purposeful, meaningful, ikigai and all of that. It's a luxury for our parents' generation where their purpose was to hold on to a job and to earn a salary and not be without a job. Today, of course, people want a job, but they also want a job which can give them purpose and meaning and that too in their 20s. Not wait till you retire to say, okay, now I'll sort of become spiritual. So all these three things are giving young people today the luxury, I would say, the option of choosing and they are exercising their choice. So uh, taking this a little forward, I think all of us at some point in our career face what you also talk about in your book as imposter syndrome, like unable to uh, sort of digest that, okay, I'm doing well, I'm successful, I'm doing good and I'm on the right path. Some point it hits us and then we go back to self-doubt. Is this what I'm meant to do? Is this my calling? Is this my purpose? So how should one deal with it? I think firstly accept that this is natural yeah. and it happens to everyone. Uh, just because you are feeling a sense of self-doubt or you are feeling unsure or you are not quite certain you've got what you wanted, Everybody goes through this. It's a normal, natural feeling. That's the first thing to accept. You are not, you're not unwell <laughs> that you are feeling this way. Okay. Uh, second, I think that I don't want to give unnecessary gyan. I'm not an expert on this topic, but the best way to feel good about yourself is to have other people tell you that. Yeah. Uh, I have always found that people you work with, your friends, your family members, and of course I wrote about this, I write about this in the book, your mentors, yes. are the best judge of how good or bad you are. And so I would say seek feedback if you are not getting 
it already. Seek feedback from the right people, people who have exposure to you, people who are thoughtful about giving you feedback and put an effort into it and people who really care about you. I think that hearing from them, whether you are performing or not, whether you are strong in some areas and not so strong in other areas, it may still create some insecurity when you hear that, oh, I don't do this well. But at least it won't be an imposter syndrome. At least in the areas where you have your strengths, you will, it will sink in that others actually see this. And if they are saying this, who am I to question it? So I think at times like this, my biggest source of ending that confusion or minimizing, it never ends, by the way. There's something else to doubt yourself on always. Uh, the best way to deal with it is to have other people tell you that you are doing something really well. And that then starts to build confidence that at least this I do well. There may be still things that I don't do well, which I need to work on. So talking about mentorship, uh, you have emphasized quite a bit on this topic in your book that uh, finding the right mentor or a mentorship program and there are so many available now, short term, long, like distanced or like go and enroll and be there for some weeks and uh, be a part of a mentorship program. Why is it that uh, mentorship is so important? I mean, you have quite a bit uh, talks like spoken about it in the previous question. But if somebody does not has this one mentor, how do they identify like what type of people should I reach out to? I don't have somebody I know who's working in this field already, not in my family, not in my friend's circle. So where do I find a mentor for myself? Sure. I don't think you necessarily need to have a mentor who is in the same field or who has done exactly what you want to do or have done. If you can, of course. But if there isn't a great fit, it's okay. I think what you need is somebody who knows you and knows about you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want somebody who is not, who's really, who really cares about you being successful. So they are committed to your success. Right. They are committed to your growth. They take pride in the fact that, you know, I'm able to help somebody improve, do better, achieve, outperform. So, so they genuinely selflessly care. And third, of course, they are not just giving advice because they think they are wise. That advice comes from a track record of experience and credibility. Now, you may not have somebody today who perfectly fits all these criteria. But even if that person fix, uh, fits imperfectly, it's a good idea to get started. Okay. Now, it could be a former teacher. And they may not know what you're doing, right? I may have had my teachers in metallurgical engineering, which I didn't want to study in the future. But they have been in a career, they have made trade-offs, they have made choices, and they are committed to your success. So when you present a problem to them, they say, 
that's what happened with me. That they said, well, if you don't like metallurgy and you don't want to, uh, and you think you need, you're not good at engineering, why don't you study a master's for one year and we'll help you get into a department that is different. So, even people who are not directly related to what you want to do are able to help you think through. They're able to again see in you things that you couldn't see in yourself. It could be people who you've worked with. It doesn't necessarily need to be a senior. Uh, it could be a friend. Sometimes people who are junior to you and your team members are also good mentors, by the way. Because they are able to have the, the, the benefit of having some distance and play back and be a mirror to you. So mentors are there everywhere. They may not always be the perfect match for the criteria for a mentor, but I would at least start somewhere and get start to see the benefits of having somebody like that in your life. And then I am confident that everybody will find somebody who will be a closer and closer mentor over time in their lives. I think that uh, uh, clears the vision a bit on who and how you find a mentor. Uh, coming to the, uh, again, to the working professionals and even the ones who are, who are just starting or who are, who are uh, enrolled in higher education programs, we often talk a lot about technical skills mm -hmm. and we have been talking about technical skills for decades now. Mm. But in recent years, we have also started emphasizing on soft skills. Emotional intelligence, communication, leadership, uh, and you also talk about tribe skills, and you also talk about emotional skills in your emotional intelligence in your book. Uh, it, as we grow older, if all the young professionals, students who are studying, aim to be good leaders at some point in their life, and I think the work starts right when we are studying. So what are the key aspects that a person who's studying or who has just started working should focus on to become eventually become a good leader? I think that leadership can be broken down into three simple themes. And you can start working on those themes from day one. First, leaders get stuff done. Second, while getting stuff done, leaders build strong relationships with people and help them become better leaders and get their stuff done. And third, leadership is also about constantly growing and improving yourself because you are only as good as your weakest habit, your weakest skill that will be put to test every time you are given a bigger, more challenging opportunity. So if in, from day one, from the smallest thing you do, it could be a conversation that you and I are having, it could be an email that I'm sending, all the way to running a new product launch or a project that you're working on. You just focused on these three things. What do I need to get done here? And can I get it done well? 
can i exceed people's expectations can i hit it out of the park can i make sure that people say oh wow only arushi could have done this that i'm leaving my mark that's the part about getting it done it's not just about getting it done it's about getting it done well it's about getting it done distinctively it's getting it done with a mark with your mark on it while you're doing that in today's day and age as a leader you have to make sure you don't piss off people that you don't trample on people as you are working with them that you actually create an environment where people thrive in what they are doing where they feel inspired where they feel like i would do anything for this person and finally that while those are the outward manifestations inwardly are you constantly conscious of what your limitations are where are you where are you yourself your biggest obstacle to achieving the first two things getting the work done and building your followership even individual contributors who are starting careers can start thinking of their own impact their own leadership in these three terms it's actually simple and it's liberating now how you do these three things are really up to you and that's where your own style of functioning your own style as a person as a professional as a manager as a leader comes in but these three essential elements you have to work on and you can start doing it from day one and you'll be doing it for the rest of your life Well, our audience need not go to any online platforms for a leadership course now. <laughs> I think you have cracked the key. Uh, but I, being a leader also means owning up to the mistakes and things when things go wrong. Absolutely. Right? So you talk about intelligent failure in your book. Could you like briefly uh, talk about that? Yes. Uh, if you aspire to getting things done, getting things done well, leaving your mark. you will always push push the boundaries you'll want to think outside the box but one of the things i've realized in life is that even with the best effort things don't always work out because there's many more things that are not in your control that contribute to your success you can't control everything and there is a universe out there that stuff happens now intelligent failure is to recognize that you're not achieving or performing and then saying so how long should i keep trying that's a question i often get asked and i don't have a perfect answer but constantly asking yourself whether it is worth persisting or giving up and doing something else is one part of intelligent failure a simple rule i often use is three three strikes and you're out so this is an expression from american baseball but basically it means that you know you if it was in cricket you'd get out three times before you actually leave the field so you fail once you correct yourself you fail again you correct yourself but if you're failing again then there's something wrong with your model and you really need to go back to the drawing board but 3 doesn't mean anything it could be 2 it could be 
but somewhere having a mindset that you know there comes a point in time where you may have to just say this is not working out often people are not able to have that mindset they persist too long and they refuse to give up uh, and i often get asked by people oh but when should you give up i don't think when should you give up is a problem i think the bigger problem is that people just don't want to consider giving up so that's one piece piece of intelligent failure the second part of intelligent failure is that the failures teach you the best lessons success actually is not a great teacher because when you succeed you don't know what really worked you think you know what worked but you really learn that much later when you have time to reflect because if you are successful you just keep doing and you're not really seeing i'm exaggerating to make the point of course you do reflect in successes also but it's when you fail when it hurts when you feel like oh my god you know what are people thinking what will happen to me now in that anxiety in that awkwardness of failure you really push yourself to say what happened why did it happen and that's the time when you get the best learnings of what not to do next time so for example even in my career decisions whenever i've thought long and hard and taken a decision it's turned out that the career doesn't work out but then it teaches me a lot it's a big investment to lose after having invested in something and then making a career move and then realizing i made a mistake but it equally tells me oh that's not for me i made the wrong move but hey i learned that that's not what i wanted to and what did i hate about it i hated this 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 so and so what it teaches you not to do what it teaches you about what you don't like as a person we talked about purpose and meaning what doesn't fit into your purpose and meaning uh equally what it teaches you to do better differently look for in the next thing you do that's all very valuable now most of us are scared of failure and because we are scared of failure we want to study we want to study the subject that will not lead us to any failures right we want that perfect answer we want the certainty but what we have to realize is that failure is an inherent part of your life it's actually not failure failure it's actually the fact that you are not successful and it's part of your learning it's part of your discovery it's part of your figuring out process in life and it's easy for me to say don't be scared of it i'm also scared of it everybody is scared of it but realize that it is going to happen it is inevitable the sooner you start failing the more immune you will be to the fear of failure and the greater your learnings in life we are about to close the session so what is the one advice that you would leave our gen z and millennial like audience out there with this seems like a advice that is not an advice because it may come across as okay go you know it's loosey goosey and there's no direction but i would say that young people these days tend to overthink yeah. uh their choices or options and ironically just at a time when you are so lucky from my perspective to have so many options so many choices 
and I can see that you won't go wrong with any of them, right? Instead of exploring and saying, okay, let me just do this and try it out and if it doesn't work out, I'll go do something else and I would have learned something in the process. People are looking for even more certainty. So in the past, when I was growing up, you had zero certainty. Uh, so when you got something, you just held on to it. Now you have huge certainty that if this doesn't work out, this will, if this doesn't work out, this will. So in some ways, there's a lot of certainty. But now we are asking for certainty on the which one of those should I choose, right? Because that's where my big lottery is going to come out. And what people need to understand is that it doesn't work that way. All of these are things that could become the winner for you. And you are lucky to have the option that if one doesn't work out, there'll be something else. So why worry? Why overthink it? Just pick something that seems intuitively right. You never will get it right perfectly. You won't have all the information or you won't have, uh, it's so, everything is so new that your parents and your family has certainly no context of what you're getting into. And the worst that will happen is that it won't work out, but the good news is that there will always be something else to do. That's a very fresh perspective because young people like us, myself, we see these options as uh, competitions or, you know, what should I do, like you're saying, what is the right or best pick for me. But instead, we could just look at them as multiple options out there and just do what feels intuitively right. Yeah, because there's a safety net. Yeah. There is actually a safety net for failure, much more so today than there was before. Because if you failed at that, or if it didn't work out, then there are other options. In the past, you didn't have a choice. So you actually went in, and you did what you have to do, and you tolerated it, even if you didn't like it, because you couldn't afford to give it up. So, from that situation now, you have multiple options. You don't have to take up anything if you don't want. You're not being forced to do something that you didn't want out of compulsion. So enjoy that freedom. It's almost liberating for me to see that, wow, you know, if I was your age, I could have done this and that and that and that. And then I say, but why are you agonizing about it? You should be happy. Yeah. You should be on top of the world that, my God, I have so much I can do. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for taking out time for this and sharing these amazing insights on your book. I'm sure our audience uh, has learned a lot through this session. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for your questions and your preparation. Good, insightful questions for me. Thank you. Thank you.